I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with part three of our celebration of the La Cienega Design Quarter with a look back at Legends 2019. For over 50 years, the La Cienega Design Quarter has been a design destination serving LA's vibrant and extremely talented design community. This design district is special and has seen Los Angeles transition from trendy studio town to a global creative powerhouse. And for the past 11 years, Legends of La Cienega has been a celebration of design, showcase for amazing design talent and social gathering for anyone who loves design. In 2019, Convo by Design was an official media sponsor of Legends, and I cannot tell you how amazing this was for me and how saddened I was, like many of you, when I learned that because of the coronavirus pandemic, Legends was not going to be happening this year. I think what saddens me most is that personally, I will miss seeing all of my friends, meeting new people, and I imagine that many of you listening feel the exact same way. It has been such a joy sharing these interviews with you. It has been so much fun, and this is the third of four in the series, and you have heard from over half of the designers from the 2019 event. I want to invite you to head over to the Convo by Design YouTube channel to see many of the windows that we're talking about here. And, um, meet the designers and hear about the windows. And it was amazing. And I want to share this with you. But first, this is a look back. And I wanted to share some of the amazing designers from this last year's event. My hope is that this gives you a little bit of joy. And I will republish this in a series of episodes so you can hear all about the 2019 designs and showrooms whose windows served as a canvas for these amazing designers. I would also like again to remind you just how special the LCDQ is and suggest that when this is all over, please go visit the LCDQ showrooms again. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. All right, first up, is Masa and John Kleinhempel. I'm Masha Kleinhempel. This is John Kleinhempel, and we're from Klein Agency. Where are we today? We're at the Hammer and Spear showroom on La Cienega. What does, uh, what does La Cienega Design Quarter Legends mean to you? What does it mean to the design and architecture community? I'd say that as a young studio in the city, we've 
Um, we feel honored. It's an amazing opportunity for us to come and showcase our thought, um, our thought process behind design, the way we see it. Uh, it's a beautiful platform of gathering and kind of being around a community that in this ginormous city doesn't get together that often. So we feel it's just a wonderful opportunity to meet, expose, talk about design, push forward our ideas, present ourselves. For a young studio like ours, it really is an honor. Good. I'm so keeping that. <laughs> um, who is the icon you selected? We've selected Eileen Gray, uh, which for us represents um, a strong figure, strong female figure in the design industry um, that you know started with uh, furniture design, moved in, migrated into architecture, was, was a massive part of the modern movement, um, also with a bit um, like flavor of the Art Deco. Um, and a lot of her pieces we look to and see um, you know, a combination of very contemporary, very modern techniques but then also combined with, you know, and like an antiquity, like antiques, this kind of like historical reference. And I think for us, that's massive because our, the, the ethos of our studio is always about a combination of rub, this sort of, this sort of you know, friction between contemporary um, elements, uh, modern techniques, as well as um, like old materials, historic materials, things that, that have a history and, those, and the combination between those two. Why do you think her work was so special? What what made it iconic? When you when you look at, I mean, she was using um, techniques, uh, contemporary techniques, when, when she was using bent tube steel and then you know putting on upholstered cushions onto it in these you know geometric forms. I think that was that was a very she did that before Le Corbusier. You know, I mean, yeah. she was there in that moment, really defining a, a new modern movement in furniture design, um, and I think she she was a super strong figure. So that being said, how, how did you channel her in your window design? So we, just like John mentioned, uh, we dwell in realms of furniture and architecture as well. Um, and we work closely, I feel, with materials and integration of those materials that Eileen has worked with. Um, in that sense, we will be using the showroom and the window to push forward this idea of how furniture alone can become uh, a space, a dialogue between an interior space and an exterior space, a dialogue between a super finished um, material and the one that's a little rougher. It'll be, we'll try to kind of bring together um, items and pieces that rub maybe in an unconventional or kind of an uncomfortable way um, to gather together an atmosphere that certainly will resemble and I think speak closely to Eileen's world. Materiality that is both at the same time, yeah, you know, technical and very, um, you know, fr from, a, from a utilitarian aspect combined with like a warm, soft, like very um, haptic material at the same time. So the, the combination of rub between those two, we want to accentuate uh, in, in, our, in our presentation. Speaking of which, what products did you specify for this design? So we're a bit unique in the same way that Eileen was as well. We, we are 
using furniture that we've designed um, for the space that um, in, in, the, in the same light that we make our spaces here in LA, a lot of times we'll go through um, and we'll create uh, custom dining chairs, custom tabletops, custom uh, you know, linen, where we really try to absorb the full capacity of what a project could be um, and use it as a platform to project our design ideas and, and what we feel like makes a comfortable space for people to be in. In that sense, these the, our display is, is, a, is a format, is a display for, for our ideas on furniture uh, and how they might make a space. Thank you, Melissa. And John, this is Christy Nelson. Christy Nelson, KM Nelson Design. And where, where are we? What showroom? We're in Cache on La Cienega. It's one of my favorite showrooms in the area. I've got a long relationship with Jim Goodrich, the owner, who is wonderful, wonderful to work with. And we're here for LCDQ. We're here for Legends. Mm -hmm. What is it about LCDQ and Legends that is, is so special for you and for the design community? You know, I think it's a great opportunity for us as designers to work with um, vendors that we have strong relationships with and kind of get to show a different side of what we do because obviously we're not usually working in a window. We're working in a much bigger environment. So it kind of is fun to encapsulate a concept, an idea into just this little stage and really present the essence of what we do and to be able to do it within the design community, support those vendors, support La Cienega Design Quarter. It's a great privilege. It's really an honor to be asked. So who is the designer? Uh, yeah, who's the icon that you selected? So my icon is Renzo Mangiardano. Boy, let's try that again. Uh, my um, The legend I chose to represent this year is Renzo Mangiardino. He was an Italian designer um, of the 20th century. was basically the one designer who worked with all the who's who of the 20th century that no one knows about. Okay. They, okay, which is which is good. Now, is there a reason why you selected a, a lesser known icon than perhaps someone that would be more easily recognizable? Yes, Renzo has a specific style. He's really about opulence and drama and color, and he really appreciates the past and and bringing it into the current in a way that a lot of other designers didn't and. I'm a big buff of 18th and 19th century European history and art and decorative arts. So he's working in that vocabulary and being able to use those pieces, you know, reference that in this particular opportunity was, you know, that was, that was an easy one. So what, what was it specifically about the, the work that made it so special, that makes it so iconic? So Renzo was um, an architect by training, but he also worked as a set designer and an interior designer. And a lot of what he did as a set designer, he brought into his interior. So there was a lot of trompe l'oeil, there was a lot of faux finishing. He would make leather panels out of scrunched up cardboard, and he used these amazing artisans and created these, these um, finishes and these pieces that were extraordinary and almost you know, too perfect to be real, but you had, you know, you couldn't see where fantasy stopped and reality began. And it was just, it's such a, an exciting and fun 
way to work to be able to bring those artisans in and do things you know that only can happen in your imagination that's really the joy of what he did and what we get to do you know is what we get to do as designers work with people who can really bring something extra add touches and you know just kind of take your imagination places that you know you can't go in the everyday world were you challenged by having to do that in such a small space oh yes yeah it's definitely a challenge to take you know, sort of a big concept and really distill it, concentrate it down into a very small space. And you're sort of, you know, having to be able to pick and choose. What am I going to do? You know, because when you sort of start, it's everything, right? Every single color, every type of fabric. And you have to just start working your way down into, you know, find, find the essence of what represents Renzo, but also how I you know, respond to his work and, and actually how it basically impacts what I do. So that's what this window is. It's a lot of what I do, but it, it's in the same reference of the work that he did as well. It's, we work in similar color palettes. We use similar materials. And anytime I can bring in really beautiful fabrics and furniture, that, you know, that's, a, that's one of the joys of my job. So, how did you channel him in your design? We decided to focus really on the trompe l'oeil aspect and colors and and create a feeling of a being in an Italian room in some old villa. You know, like the marble finishes, the the large baroque furniture, you know, very expressive, very dramatic um and use some pieces that have a masculine and feminine presence. Who did you specify? Who did you use? Which vendors? Which vendors, products, everything? So, a lot of furniture from Cachet. Uh, Fabrics are from Scalamandre. We have some um, decorative arts from John Nelson Antiques. And then our wonderful faux finishing and upholstery work were done, the trompe l'oeil and painting were done by Sorelli Fine Arts, two fabulous Italian sisters who are classically trained. And then uh, Ralph's Interiors did all of our upholstery work. They've been a longtime uh, vendor of ours. Very cool. Thank you, Christy. Gary Hutton. Gary Hutton. Gary Hutton Design. And where are we today? What showroom? We're in Maribon Rug Showroom. In... Los Angeles, California. Let's try that again. Where and city. Okay. We're in the Maribond showroom in Los Angeles, California. And we're here for LCDQ and for Legends 2019, of which you are designing a window. Um, what is What does LCDQ mean to you and for the industry? And, and I'm interested in your take specifically because you're not you're not an Angelino. You don't work in LA primarily. Primarily, yeah. So, yeah. Well, LZDQ is is really one of the premier um, premier design events of the country, and it's been going on for long enough. Everyone in San Francisco comes down for it. Lots and lots of uh, my designer friends have participated before. So, who is the who's the icon you selected? Werner Panton. What is it about the work that makes it so special? That makes it iconic. Well, you know. 
Panton was really active from the 50s through the 70s and he really changed the way we looked at color and geometry and his um, actually my first job in the industry was uh, in a showroom that sold his carpets and fabrics so um, this kind of brings it back full circle for me um, and his work really changed the way we looked at at color I think primarily really intense vivid strong colors was what he what he did a lot of so how did you channel his work into your design well we were trying to to take one of his iconic patterns which was a concentric circles and that's a pattern that many people have explored over the years but he did it in oranges and purples and reds and so what we're trying to do with our window is rechannel that and um, so we're doing it all in clear acrylic so that the colors play off of one another and when you walk past it'll change color when you when it's layered that is so cool I hope so <laughs> did you is it a challenge working in such a small footprint um well Every, every project has its own challenges. The, the size of the footprint is not so much. I mean, we're banging into one another over there trying to get things set up. But, um, you know, we, we knew what the size of the space was, and so we kind of managed it out to where we could... Um... <laughs> There's nails. It's, it's happening. Um, you know, we tried really hard to, to organize it so that we were close to the window and didn't take up a whole lot of the showroom space. Hold on one second. Let's try that one more time. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's kind of in the way. Here, you can, we can move a little bit. There you go. Is that better? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Start, start that part again. Okay. We're, we, were, we were talking about uh, it being a small space. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, San Francisco is full of small spaces. So um, we're kind of accustomed to that. And um, when we came down um, a month or so ago to look at the window space, we sort of designed our window to make sure that we kept the space really compact in what we're doing. And so that the layers of color are closer together so that as people pass, there'll be more interaction with them. And who did you specify? Who did you use? Um, we used a company up, up in the Bay Area called Architectural Plastics. And they do a lot of plastic work for uh, museums and that sort of thing. And they were really terrific to work with because they, they said, okay, we've got stuff together, come on up. Should we polish the edges of the plastic? Should we leave them matte? You're gonna get a really different effect. So we got to see those two things and make that decision it was really it was really fun was there anything that, that you sort of that was unexpected as you were putting this project together well unexpected um it was unexpected about <laughs> no getting in here <laughs> no design project ever goes perfect no never and so things always happen along the way I'm just curious and sometimes they're happy surprises I'm just curious if there were any happy surprises not yet there <laughs> thank you Gary this is Tim Barber 
and Patrick Tennant. I'm Tim Barber, principal of Tim Barber Limited. We're architects in the Los Angeles area for 25 years. And I'm Patrick Tennant. I am Tim's head of interior architecture at Tim Barber Limited and sort of lead designer of the window with Tim in tow. This is Patrick's third window. It's actually our third window together, yeah. And where are we? We are at Renaissance Molding and Design, Renaissance Design Studio on the corner of Romaine and La Cienega at the top of the design district. What does uh, LCDQ Legends mean to you and to the design community? You start. I mean, it's a wonderful event that happens every spring that we love to be a part of because it truly is a celebration of what we do as a community of designers and architects and the services we offer to clients and it's a really wonderful time to come together and you know and just sort of hang out with each other and talk about design and and see what everyone else is doing and new products you know there's a lot of talks and symposiums that happen uh, throughout the the week I think that's what it sort of means to me is a celebration of what we do all year you know we're collaborators as architects so the idea that we could have 200 of our favorite collaborators, interior designers, landscape designers, vendors, lighting people. I, I think we have this incredible opportunity once a year to put all of our collaborators, and many we don't know, in the same place, get to know them, and figure out how to work together better. Who is the icon you selected? <clears throat> well, I think Tim and I are really excited about this person because it's someone that actually a lot of people don't know about. Um, we were sort of doing a lot of research at the beginning of California designers, uh, since we're in California, but we uh, discovered this architect and interior designer, his name's Timothy Fluger, and he was very influential up in the Bay Area in San Francisco um, during the 20s, 30s, was like his most prolific sort of period of work. Um, we I think we picked him partly because he was an integrator. He took electric lights, which were fairly new in the 20s, and found a way to knit those together and make them part of the architecture with these pierced screens. He's got a patent on the pierced screen that we're going to be replicating in our, our, our piece. Um, so he was not just an interior designer and an architect, but he was also an inventor and has patents working at a really volatile time in the late 20s and early 30s in California history. Why do you think his work is so iconic? Well, that sort of goes into, I think, one of the things we were drawn to with Timothy is his truly integration. So in Art Deco, we really know that the building and the space is very integral with almost the interior architecture or interior design of the space. So we were really drawn to the fact that, you know, he was thinking in complete arcs of design from not just the building, but down to the furniture, what he was doing on the wall, so that he was really creating experiences, like literally from the moment you're on the sidewalk outside his building, it's going to be a journey through to the bathroom. It's gonna be one, one vision, um, and then Tim was saying also about, he had gotten this patent on this really interesting decorative lighting technique um, that truly was like revolutionary for the time because before people were lighting spaces um, 
just functionally, you know, oh, electricity's new, we just gotta put light bulbs in here. And then he was really taking it to this theatrical decorative level, treating electricity as a decorative way to enhance his interiors even more. Um, oh, do you wanna talk about the sort of Mayan revival style that he was actually kind of the only one doing it? <laughs> Something that we do as an architecture firm is try to learn from history. Uh, we do tradition-based contemporary architecture, mostly residences. He was really similar, where he brought in influences from Mayan architecture, from Neo-Greek architecture, from Spanish colonial. He would put these together in his very stripped-down art deco spaces with these rich materials and create something no one had ever seen before. And I think for students of history, that's the most exciting thing, to be able to make something brand new out of something that you've studied that comes from the past. So I think that's why I'm excited to celebrate him. So how did you channel Timothy into your window? Wow. I gave it to Patrick. Ah, Tim gave it to me, and Tim and I were <clears throat> you know, really fascinated because he was working in the 20s and 30s, so prohibition was happening. Um, the stock market crash and he was creating such opulent sort of in-your-face opposition to sort of the depression that was happening outside the doors and he was really creating these fun environments for people to still have a good time in um, and so we were sort of thinking about prohibition and actually he did a lot of hotels, speakeasies. speakeasies, gathering places. So we're like, we should just throw a party in our window and do something totally unexpected and make this beautiful sort of deco environment um, that I keep saying it's like the best party you were never at. So you're gonna see kind of the after party. And then we were doing some more research and we came across the wild party um, poem that was written in 1927, and that was made into a musical in the early 2000s, if y'all remember that. But so the poem kind of inspired us, and the speakeasy, and we also have this bathtub. So this is the second time we've done the Renaissance window, and I was like, well, we already have a bathtub, so let's do some bathtub gin, and have a party. <laughs> that was one of the drivers. How do you make a window around an immovable giant marble like bathtub? Like a two-ton bathtub, <laughs> which was in our first window, too. <laughs> so. Who did you specify for the window? So we actually started with Philip Jeffries, who's one of Tim's good friends, and we, our early design is very opulent, and Philip makes beautiful wallpaper, so we got this amazing wallpaper from Philip. We have some beautiful deco kind of inspired chairs from Kreis, Lauren Kreis. Um, we also got some custom floors uh, donated by Tony Murphy of Finishes. We have some beautiful deco sconces from Remains Lighting. And that's basically, I think, everybody. The bar cart. The bar cart, arteriors, uh, and then everything else we actually made from scratch. So, oh, Renaissance, the Renaissance millwork. They made us these beautiful custom applied molding pieces and this light box, which is inspired by Timothy's backlit patent lighting system. And they also provided light fixtures. Yes, from Beguess, the light fixtures in the window. So it's exciting. <laughs> this is Drew McGookin. Hi, Drew McGookin of Drew McGookin Interiors, and we are in Los Angeles, California. And we're here for um, Legends, which you as, as, a, as a New York designer 
what does this what does this event mean for you personally and for for the the design community in general personally i think an event like this means an awesome opportunity to connect with friends vendors industry professionals i love the synergy between new york and la so that's an exciting part personally to just get in there and networking you know personal relationships it's really relationship building and then I think for the industry, it's, it's not such a different point of view. It's an opportunity for designers, design vendors, makers, industry professionals to meet in an authentic way. And this is your first one? This is my very first one. I've never been, so I'm excited to be here. So the theme this year was icons. So who did you select and why? We actually selected three icons. It's Carl Lagerfeld. Lee Raswell and Mario Buada, uh, both from design and fashion, so thinking a bit of lifestyle. And those three individuals actually passed away in 2019. So ours is a more of celebration of icon and what it means to be an icon and icons that have recently passed. That's really interesting to me. And I, I like that idea because, you know, you, you had choices when it comes to this. It's really interesting and fascinating for me too because some people have chosen, I, I want a designer. Some have said, I want an architect, a set decorator. Some have said, I want to choose a, the furniture that they've worked on and that's what, what I want to focus on and be iconic. I think that's really interesting. That's a different spin to, to make it about three different designers from three different, from different creative aspects and insofar as you know them passing away so recently. Um, what was the process in sort of ideating this and putting it together? The process is really about, you know, what is an icon? That's really where we started, you know, define icon. What is an icon? What are iconography around icon? You know, what does it mean to be iconic? And I really came to this very past and present point of view and also a personal point of view. So thinking that often it takes a lifetime to realize that you were iconic or it's, it's, it's about after you pass, it suddenly snaps like, wow, that, that design, that aesthetic, that personal, oh, whatever it is, lasts forever. And that's really what, what was about recognizing those people who had left indelible marks in the, in the culture of style that have passed this year. And then the mirrored panels in the windows are really a, a, a chance as you're walking by to see yourself and reflect. You, know, you see yourself, you reflect, and then you ask the question. And I think just from an energetic standpoint, those three, those three things loop together. And it's really, what does it mean to be an icon? Dare to be an icon. And, and dare to be being your theme. What, is, what does that mean to you? Well, I think it's challenge yourself. We all, we, you know, it, it's an open road. Challenge yourself. Push yourself to develop something creative. Push yourself to develop something that's truly you and your voice and who you are. And that's the dare to be. And you never know. Maybe it becomes iconic. So, and yours was a different perspective. Tell me about how you, how you, put, the, how you put the window together because you went two-dimensional. Well, it's interesting because we just have these old, beautiful casement-style windows, and we don't, some of the shops you'll notice have almost the little platform, the true display window type opportunity that, that calls you for a vignette, you know, a, a setting of some kind, and we, we don't have anything like that. We literally just have open glass windows. So I think in, in some ways that was the design challenge, being wrapped and bound into the two-dimensional window. And then how do you do that? How do you make it interesting? How do you add dimension. I think for us, the mirror panels were about dimension. Not using all of the glass panes, not closing them all was about dimension. So in lieu of having the actual space in depth, we just created it through the design. 
Well, and you also did something else unique too. And you, you, tr you, you put actual images of the creatives themselves, which I don't think you find in any of the other work. I find that interesting. Yeah, I think it, you know it's really what it was about, and in many ways, it's a celebration of of what it means to be iconic, and those being some of our you know greatest, most recent losses for style icons. And as interesting as it is that all all three of those individuals were from you know different disciplines, where's the where's the connective tissue for you? Where do all of where do the different disciplines connect? Because like I'll give you an example. So fashion and design. There's so many different touch points there, right? Can you connect the dots between all three of these creatives? I think it's uh, it's it's funny because they they sort of go in a line. Mario Boato was really 100%, you know, as classic interior design in the most traditional way. Then you've got Karl Lagerfeld in the most traditional way, true to the core Paris fashion, you know. Milan, you know, like world, you know, here we are in the most traditional way. And then there's Lee Radswell in between, you know, a style maven for her fashions as much as for her home fashions. And so she really is the bridge between those two individuals. And I think, you know, I think people who are interested in design, design lovers, you know, you even connoisseurs of design it really is pervasive and to me that's why they belong together in just an iconic style point of view because Lager Lee Radswell from her home to her wardrobe to the food that she set her table with all of it was based in a tremendous love of style and you know and owning that sensibility well this was great I hope I hope you enjoy the events this week is there anything in particular you're looking forward to well, you know, I am on a panel on Thursday. It's a design dating game with All for Living, so I think we're going to have a good time. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. This is Max Humphrey. Hi, I'm Max Humphrey, and my firm is Max Humphrey. So, where are we today? We are here. Uh, we are here at Tefenki and Carpets, and we're in, we're in West Hollywood. We're at we're on we're on the La Cienega Design Quarter for the annual Legends event. I'm curious. So as a designer in the design community, what does an event like Legends mean for designers for the design community here in Southern California? Does it mean for designers in general or me as a designer? What do, you, what, do you, what do you get from this? What, is, what does it do for you? Um, uh, what this does for me is gives me, uh, it gives me FaceTime with the um, the what this does for me is it gives me FaceTime with the vendors here on the street. And I've I've talked to some, you know, it's really interesting because every every design district has their own their own spin, mm -hmm. right? Their own feel, their own flavor, their own events that they do. Sometimes it's about the inspiration. Sometimes it's about the networking and the connecting. I find legends really interesting because of the way that they do it, right? With the windows mm -hmm. and the events, and it's a whole week of people just connecting on the boulevard. It gets people out of their cars, and it gets them walking around and seeing each other. Have 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 you noticed the camaraderie, the inspiration, that kind of thing? Does that does that have any effect on on sort of why this event? What makes it special for the design community? Um, what makes this special 
to the design community and for me is I like shopping at brick and mortar stores. It's important to me. Um, there, it, for me, a lot of times the 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 whole point of sort of sourcing something is the journey, finding it, and not necessarily a specific object. So um, getting to walk up and down the street and meet vendors in person that I've only corresponded with online um, is really what matters to me. So the theme this year is icons. So who's the icon you selected? The icon I selected is Louise Barragon. Why? I chose him. I thought it would be a challenge. Um, he's a Mexican architect and designer and landscape architect. Um, he uses big, bold colors, but is still able to create a serene, or was able to create a sort of a serene environment despite having hot pink walls. Um, and I, I thought it would be a challenge. Um, and the great thing about this event is there isn't necessarily a client involved, so you can kind of do what you want. Was it a challenge? Yeah, um, yeah, it was a challenge. It was uh, fun and hard and awful and amazing. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's like Hunger Games for interior designers. Um, so part of it is logistics. You know, and also you know, with interior design, the interior the design aspect of it is sometimes a very small percentage of what we do, and the rest of it is organization and project management and coordination and um, you know and all that. So. And building walls where they didn't once exist? And building an entire room where there wasn't one. <laughs> what was it about his work that, that for you made it so special, that made it iconic? Um, the, the exciting thing about Baragon for me is that you can still go to his, um, you know, his home and his projects. His house is a museum now, and that's not, you can't say that with a lot of other designers um, from the past either the you know the the clients or homeowners have moved on um, but with him you can actually walk into some of these spaces untouched as if as if he had just finished them it's funny too if I seem distracted is because I'm, I'm looking at the space and I'm trying to I'm thinking about what you were saying and you know it's it's really true it's bold it's bright but it's serene mm. and I'm when you were going through the process of sketching this idea out, how do you how do you how do you blend those ideas? Considering that they they seem so diametrically opposed, how do you blend those ideas? B big and bold and serene. Big, bold, ser and making it serene at the same time. Did did you? What's your process? Do you sketch it out? Do I you I don't have a process, or if I do, I'm not super aware of it. I I like to leave a lot up sort of chance. Um, I had a general idea, but it, there's nothing on paper. I had a handful of um, gracious vendors that offered me stuff. Um, but beyond that, I, I sort of wing it. Um, and a lot of this unfolded kind of in real time in the past couple of days. Speaking of which, who did you, who did you specify? Who did you use? I used uh, carpets from Tefenkian. I used a lot of stuff from Serena and Lily. Um, I used, uh, oh, I used, um, I'm trying to think. Is that Bend? It's Bend Goods. I'm trying to think of the, yeah, I used Bend Goods. I used, um, fabric from Peter Dunham through Hollywood at Home. 
I used the Shade Store. I used furniture from Hollywood at Home. Um, um, yeah. Who else did I use? I used chairs from Dakota Jackson. Um, paint from Pharaoh and Ball. Uh, and isn't that interesting too? It's very unique that you can source from the same area in which you're doing, you're in the same district from which you're doing the design. It's got to make it convenient. Yeah. Well, what you sort of learn through this is a lot of a lot of interior design is about the relationships that you have with with vendors or artisans, and so that really, when you start to call in favors, it really sort of reminds you. I mean, all interior design is about relationships. Either it's about relationships designers have with their clients or relationships designers have with, you know, vendors or stores or retailers. Um, so yeah. So true. Um, this is great. Beautifully done. Thank you. Excellent, Max. Thank you. This is Julia Wong. Hi, I'm Julia Wong. I'm at Cache on La Cienega. And uh, we're here for Legends. Tell me about Legends. Tell me what it means for you as a designer, and how, how do you use this event? It's a great time to you know meet out of town vendors and business partners, and also you know it's just great walking around and seeing all the windows and get inspired. So the theme this year was icons. Yes. So who did you select and why? I have selected one of Cecil Beaton's iconic images. It is, you know, it evokes fashion and glamour and uh, timeless interiors. What is it about the image that you found so iconic? What makes it so special? Well, the, um, the, the room that the models are in has beautiful paneling, architectural details, and also um, the, just the position of all the models. It's just a beautiful image. Going a little deeper though, the juxtaposition, the way that the models are interacting with each other, but not just that, the way that the models are interacting with the architecture and the way that their, their gowns pop against a neutral palette in the background, it's just, it's so interesting. So I, I'm just curious, what was the, what was the most special part of that? What is it that, that really struck you about that image? For me, I'm also from a fashion background originally, and then I wanted to create an interior window that is more of a window instead of an interior design space. So, um, I, you know, you can see that I have actually elevated, the suspended the chairs, and then put a, some fashion elements into an otherwise very, very classical room from the Baccarat chandelier hanging above to the cachet fan lucite chairs to the chinoiserie lamps. The elements are very classical, but yet very fashion. So knowing that, how did, I, I'm curious, did you try to channel the photographer? Did you try to channel the image? What were you, what was the, what was the, it was, was it the photographer, the models, the image itself, the color palette? What was it that you tried to channel into your design? Where did you start and what was the process? Well, I started with the iconic image and then I wanted it to be quietly dramatic. So it's all about a, a neutral palette, monochromatic palette. But at the same time, I do 
wanted to create not just an interior design space, but also a glimpse of Hollywood and fashion. Um, who did you specify for this project? I specified, actually, the, um, the lighting is cachet, and the, the panels are silk hand-painted on, you know, on the vendors. I'm not going to get into it, I think. I'll tell you because what. Because it's not a big, it's a lot of cachet. No, 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 it's, it, then, no, here's, here's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm looking for products, talk about the hand-painted, I don't yeah. care, I don't care where it no, comes from, yeah, but tell I'm me, gonna, tell me what you're using. Yes, I'm okay? going to do that instead. Go ahead. Um, do me a favor. Okay. Back on your mark. Back on my mark. And go ahead. So the concept is very simple, but yet dramatic. So it's about scale. I've created a hand-painted silk uh, chinoiserie panels. It is custom designed for this for LCDQ for this event, and uh, it is in the monochromatic tone, so it's not multicolors. But the drama is from the contrast. So you can see I've used a silk also on the lucite chairs. So again, it's about the chairs, not necessarily about the pattern. Lots of texture, and then the Phoenician mirror and the Baccarat chandelier really gives the glamour that we needed in the space. I get the feeling that you were going for high luxury. I'm always high luxury. <laughs> this is my friend Chad Conic. Dorsey. I think what made Ellen Gray's work so special was the fact she truly wasn't recognized during her lifetime. She was extremely private, very talented and innovative for her time. She was doing things in the 30s and 40s that was truly like outside the box. And for a woman in architecture and design, it was just unheard of at that moment. So how did you, how did you channel her in your work, in your design? Well, our concept is to design the interior of her villa in the south of France, which she designed as a retreat. Um, and it's called E1027. Um, and we wanted the space to feel like you're standing inside the villa, looking in, out to sea, and doing it in a very minimalist way, because if you look at her work, it's very minimalist, and um, she was all about just the detail on what she was doing. Uh, the villa truly wanted to capture the sea. All the different materials and fabrics, they were all meant to feel like you're on a boat or um, inspired by the sea. And that's what we tried to do. So we've created these window panels that are inspired by the sea using graffiti artists, um, graffiti art, and um, just the colors. So if you if you sort of stand back and you look at it abstractly, it'll give you the sense that you're standing inside the villa, looking out at the sea. But our big now, come on, keep going. Our our, our big idea with it was using a hashtag called Gray Matter, and we're taking that and we use that in our entire. Uh, window panels um, the graffiti art is everything is using text that says gray matter with different colors and so the sea is gray is all made up of gray matter abstractly the sky is all made up of gray matter abstractly so our idea is that you'll be able to go on to instagram and other social media and see gray matter see all of our work but also all of eileen gray's work too sort of a tribute to her outside of just our window you know that's great i, I to be Honest with you, I haven't heard anyone else sort of take that approach, which is you know beyond the window, kind of thing. Which I think is a which I think is a great idea. I think it's a great idea. Well, you know, we really 
this window is huge. It's truly like when we saw it, we we're like, what are we going to do with this big window? A car could fit in this window and you could showcase a few. Um, and it's really great for rugs. But for um, this icon, you know, we really had to think much larger. Um, so that's where the interior of the of the villa came in, but also the proximity to Melrose and La Cienega, uh, we thought we might be able to capture some views from the corner and then sort of draw um, you know, her, draw her name to the corner and really sort of celebrate who she was. She was truly private. She burned all of her documents about her life a few years before she died because she didn't want anyone to know her, her writings and her diary. What do you think about that? I think that it's, um, I think it's great. You know, it was, she was truly a private person and that's what she wanted. She did not want people to know her, her inner thoughts. You know, uh, with the villa, um, her partner um, really liked to entertain and um, she invited Corbusier to their house and he tagged her walls with his own paintings and she was really upset by that. So over time, uh, the, the relationship broke off and, she, and Eileen Gray moved out of the villa um, and she moved on and gave the villa to her partner but with that, we're trying to capture that sort of aspect of this um, window display as well. I just think that's so fascinating in, a, in an era where everyone's trying to get more exposure, everyone's trying to get you know, more insta-fame, right? right. And, and for a creative who really didn't want that, she just purely wanted to let the, the work speak for itself. Right. It's kind of fascinating. It really is. You know, she, she was passionate about what she did. You know, she wanted to do the best thing she could do. And I can really relate to that a bit. You know, I don't necessarily want everyone to know everything about me. So that's kind of, I, I kind of relate to her. Yeah. Um, so who did you specify? Um, well, so we have some vintage pieces. We have the Babendum chair. Um, and then we also have the Allen Gray sofa and an Allen Gray table. So the furnishings are very minimalist. And then we have a mirror bomb rug that's very inspired by that error. Um, so for us, you know, we had great sources like Design Within Reach, David Sutherland, uh, Farrell and Ball, Mirabaum. Those were our partners in this. Thank you, Chad. Here is the uh, always amazing, always entertaining Martin Lawrence Bullard. Hello, I'm Martin Lawrence Bullard of Martin Lawrence Bullard Design. And it, it's funny. Normally I ask everyone, okay, where are we? Which showroom are, are we in? And this one's going to be easy for you. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I get to do my own windows this year, which is uh, kind of a, an amazing and fun thing to do because this year obviously is icons. So for me, it was all about, well, who do I really love from this icon list? It's a hard choice because there were so many extraordinary people that inspire me. But Tony Duquette is so iconically Los Angeles. He's so Hollywood. He's so high glamour. And automatically I thought, you know what? Hi, Glamour, me, the store. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's so funny because the beauty is you, you, you answered two questions ahead of me, and I love that. Um, first, I wanted to find out, though, and because it's your showroom and because you've been on the quarter and you're a member of the quarter, what, I what is it about LCDQ and Legends? What is it about this event that's so special? This has become the premier event here in Los Angeles, you know, Designers come from all over the country, and in fact, other places of the world, other parts of the world as well. We've got people coming this year from Australia and China and Paris. Um, so it's really cool that this gathers together 
an amazing bunch of, you know, incredible designers, incredible talent. And it's a really fun celebration of that here within, within our, our spaces. Um, the fact that we have such great design stores in Los Angeles, and particularly here in the LCDQ area, um, it makes it such fun shopping, and it allows you to really appreciate other designers' eyes. You know, it, that, be that becomes the really inspiring part. Well, hold for that. Sir, can we just hold on that for a minute, because I'm doing an interview. I didn't even know you were filming. I thought you guys were just... That's okay. So, so for me, it's really exciting that you get so much talent coming here to LA and coming to our stores and our ateliers that it not only inspires them, it inspires us. And that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. I think what's really special, too, is that it gets people out of their cars. It puts them on the sidewalk. Yeah, it does, exactly. It puts people on the sidewalk here in L.A., which is incredible because, you know, nobody walks in L.A. So <laughs> it's kind of fantastic to see people walking around, enjoying themselves. Plus, there are so many great events, you know, things to go see. Amazing people are speaking. There's fantastic book signings. We have all sorts of cocktail parties, a big El Decor event. So there's just such energy, and it's all about having fun and getting inspired and just celebrating design in general. And... Speaking of that, so now one of the things that is, is so truly unique about Legends, and this year in particular, is Icons. So you selected... Tony Duquette, yes. And what, what is it about Tony's work that makes it so special, that made it so iconic? You know, Tony was a set decorator originally, which is actually the way a lot of great Hollywood decorators have started. And there's something about understanding those theatrics, understanding scale on screen that makes things so interesting when you sort of translate it into an interior. Back in the day when Tony was designing houses for you know, all of the stars, he was designing things in a way that made them shine within their interiors. So really the interiors became kind of the accessory, it became the jewel to their outfit. And for me that's so exciting because I love to make people's homes you know, become a part of their character, become a part of their soul, and a window into their soul, really. And that's sort of what the designs do. So for us to have our windows, you know, reflecting Tony Duquette's work at this, for this is really fun. And again, I find him to be kind of the iconic Hollywood decorator. And his work, his look, his vibe is now translated all over the world and he has followers and fans all over the world of his work amazing things he made in his lifetime are going for huge amounts of money at auction of which we're very lucky to have quite a few pieces of uh, of original work here in my windows so yeah it's an exciting person and it's exciting to be honoring him um so it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned that he was a set decorator and you mentioned that you have some of the pieces. So I'm curious, having seen it, but, but in your thought process, how did you, what was, the, what was the process that you chose in the manner in which you wanted to channel his work into your window? You know, his work was all about layering and all about theatrics. And so for us, it was really fun to do um, 
faux materials because he used to create a lot of things. I mean, literally, he was sort of like the first wizard with a glue gun. So we've created faux paneling on our walls using an amazing wallpaper from Schumacher that looks like tortoiseshell. And then one of Tony's great favorites was malachite. So often he would paint faux malachite. In this case, we've used a great Fornacetti paper by Cole & Son to add the malachite. And then we've even used sort of silver foil fake mirrors inserted into our paneling, which actually just represents more and more the way Tony worked and the way he did those things. One of the very fun original pieces that we have in our window. Hold for one second. Okay, perfect. Do me a favor. Start from there exactly the same way, please. Okay. So one of the really fun things we have in our window, though, actually, is a chandelier. And the chandelier is very typical Tony. It's painted in a malachite green. It's got seashells applied. It's got little bits of coral and crystal. But it is totally glued together. And on examining it, you see that the central column is actually part of an old staircase. I think it's actually the banister post. So... It is so Tony that he would pull, you know, bits and pieces from everywhere and put it together and create something spectacular and theatrical. And that's really what honoring him and, and creating these windows is about. Sort of, it's the high-low, it's the mixing of a beautiful rock crystal something with a painted stair banister. And along those lines, you've mentioned a number of them, but um, who did you specify? So we've used a bunch of people to create this. Um, Stark Carpet have given us the most beautiful leopard carpet, which is something that was, again, a very iconic look of Tony's, and he used to use Stark in his work. Um, Schumacher, we used the wonderful uh, faux tortoise wallpaper. For Cole & Sons, we have a fabulous re-edition of Fornacetti, another great designer's malachite paper. Um, we have actual Tony Duquette exclusive fabric that um, is done for Jim Thompson that is a malachite print that I'm using as a tablecloth. And um, we have also other pieces from the Tony Duquette collection, beautiful malachite boxes, lapis lazuli boxes, some amazing light fixtures, and incredible morphic mirrors and consoles that Tony designed, I think, in the 60s. So they have a little bit of a, a wonderful, like, wild edge to them. Um, and that's kind of really created the soul of our windows. It's transitioning from Tony's... It transitions through Tony's early work to his later work, which makes it so fun. It, it really does. Hold for DHL. Um, okay, so that is perfect. Now, a couple of things I wanted to follow up on with you. So listeners and viewers of Convo by Design have are certainly familiar with you and your work and they've heard from you before on the show twice on panels um, I think one not both but at least one was with Catherine and the two of you have got just such a remarkable show that you that you put on which leads me to sort it's, it's our tap dance it's <laughs> it's really wonderful it's really fantastic and, and so great and I I think that it's so fitting that you selected Tony Duquette and a set decorator because your, your work is so theatrical. It's so theatrical. And I, a couple of things that I noticed in the showroom that you've, take, you've taken, you're, you're building the faux walls that, that, 
the set decorators have the studios build for them so that they can create the spaces. If it doesn't exist, they're going to create it. They're going to make it happen to fit their vision. There's a couple of other things, how you've, how you've placed things and how you've, I won't give away all the, all the secrets that I, I work with the set decorators a lot, so I, I see a lot of these things. Has that, has that been part of your, your process long? Yeah, you know, I've always loved the art of set decoration. Um, back in the day when I was in my 20s, you know, I was an actor, so I ended up seeing lots of different sets from movies to soaps and things. Um, and so it's so interesting to see how they play with, they mostly, it's how they play with scale. And of course, fake things that look like they're real things. So it's definitely something that can translate into our work as interior designers. Um, you know, some of the greatest designers, from Tony Duquette to one of my other icons, Renzo Monjardino, he also was a great set decorator. He decorated for the operas. So the theatrics from that is something that you learn and are able to somewhat tone down but bring it into people's homes or raise the bar and use it in hotels and restaurants. That's where I think, for me, understanding the set design tricks has really worked because it's allowed me to create some real fantasy in the boutique hotels I've been designing lately. And, um, and that just makes them even more fun. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I find it interesting, too, because many will look at, at design and think that it's something simply to be, to be looked at and enjoyed. But that's not it at all. It's to be experienced. Oh my God, design is all about the experience. It's about the way it makes you feel. It's about the way it makes you look against it or in it or surrounded by it. It's, it's an emotion. It's, it, it's something that each one of us, of course, has, has a different taste, but dropped into a specific ambiance, you feel a different way. And that's what happens with an interior. You create these ambiances and people go into them and they feel different, they act different. They, it, it, it just creates something magical. And that's, again, for me, one of the big tricks, one of the big passions I have with interior design is that we're able to create these interior fantasies for people. They can live out their own decorative fantasies at home. I find it so fascinating, too, that you made that transition from, from actor to doing what you do now, which really, you're an actor, you're a set decorator, you're a director, you're a producer, you, you really do manage the entire experience, except in this case, instead of producing something or creating something for, for hundreds, hundreds of thousands or millions, you're, you're doing it for one or four. Well, I have produced TV shows too, actually. Yes. And I have my own production company. So, yes. yeah, so we're producing for everyone along the way. I, <laughs> what, what part do you like better and what part do you like least? Um, you know, the creative process is amazing. The installation process for me is the most exciting when it all comes together and you get to see the reveal of your client or you get the feedback of people staying in a hotel or dining in a restaurant of how it made them feel and how they love it and how it's created memories for them. That is the big, big reward from all of this. It's the amazing part of it. Um, I mean, you know, for us, most of the journey tends to be really exciting um, from the ground up understanding how a structure is going to look, helping tweak it, helping make it correct for that person, that client, that experience. Um, of course, there are times that you're like, oh, my God, I need another, I need another career. But, <laughs> but, you know, for me, I am so thankful every day when I wake up knowing that I'm about to create something or working in a creative industry that, that you know, feeds me. It's... A, it's I don't mean just feeds me 
making money, it feeds my soul, it makes me feel good, and that's, I think, one of the ultimate goals in life. Um, the part I hate about it is, you know, the, the, the finances, you know, it's always so boring to, to do budgets and have to stick within budgets and all of those things. So the money side of it is always tricky, but as I say to students when they ask me what's one of the most important things you could tell me, get a good accountant. You know, work out from the very beginning that you understand the money, the finances, that you understand how to make money. Because very quickly you can lose money, you can have a mistake, things can happen and go wrong. So you want to make sure that you're very respectful of the money and you're very respectful of your client's money. That is number one rule with client relations. Respect their money, honor the project, and, well, respect your accountant at the end of the day. Do me a favor, will you give me um, three inches back, back, please? Yeah. Perfect. Um, it's, yeah, money and time. Totally, yeah. Well, money is time. Yeah, yeah. So what's also fascinating is the amount of extensions you have applied to your, to your empire. Right? I like that word empire. Well, it is. <laughs> Look, from, from the design business, then to the licensing then to the production, then to the showroom, yes. then to, the, to all the different lines that come 14, out. 14, I have 14 lines. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm, trying, I'm trying to wrap my head around both the creative part of it, and, and when you do that, it's a wonderful thing, and it's great having the accountant to, to help manage the businesses, but at some, at some point, does that, does that take you from doing what you, what you want to be doing, or is, this, is that part of exactly what you want to be doing? Yeah. Actually, one of, the, one of the great joys and one of the things I'm very honored to be doing is creating product for licenses for, you know, for various people from my lines for Frontgate, which are kind of more mass market, to my couture jewelry lines, to the porcelain for Haviland and rugs for the rug company and all of the wallpaper for the Colin Sun. All of those things are amazing because it's so fun. There's always things that you have in your head that you maybe never end up doing for a client because maybe it didn't work for them or it just wasn't right, but you love it. And the fact that you're then able to create it and then watch other people create with it, it's incredible. I've seen the most beautiful things that people have done with a product of mine or a wallpaper of mine or something, which, again, it's a huge honor and it's also hugely inspiring. So that's a very, very fun part of what's happened to me. And I think, obviously, I've been very lucky in my career. I've had a, a, an enormous amount of celebrity clientele, which has brought a lot of press. Um, I've been very lucky to be published for so many years by all of the great shelter magazines. And, of course, television. Having done uh, three years on Bravo and uh, a couple of years in, on European TV, and now there's, I think there's... I think there's shows playing right now with me and them in 200 countries around the world still. So that has broadened the horizon of not just being kind of a, an LA-centric designer to becoming somebody that's on an international level. And that's brought around amazing opportunities like the licensing and meeting incredible people and seeing incredible things. Do you ever consider... Uh, franchising is not the right word, but, but licensing the showrooms out to other parts of the country where they don't have the benefit of the types of, of style that, that you offer. I've been asked so much um, about the idea of expanding the store, people wanting to open stores uh, for me in different cities. The reality is that, it, you know, I'm so busy with my design work 
and the TV work and all the other things, it's very hard to kind of concentrate on the store. So the fun thing with having the store here is that I have, you know, my, my office is above it. So having a little atelier where we can put exhibit rather, I guess, um, items from my collections and then vintage finds because you know I'm a demented shopper much to the horror of my accountant by the way and American Express but um, um, so it's really fun to have somewhere to put those things to try out new things to display things um, so it's kind of like a little bit of a lab really it's like a design lab for me and it's amazing that people come in and they enjoy it and they buy things or they just come and hang out and have a coffee I mean it's a very cool environment I just am not sure that, that at the moment I've got the time to be able to expand it. But I never say never. You know, it could be a really fun thing to do one day. Well, and it's a wonderful thing to have those opportunities available. Totally. Uh, last question for you, and you've been so generous with your time. Um, we're at Legends, LCDQ's Legends 2019. Phenomenal event. One of the one of the truly special and unique things about this is, yes, it's it's... People can walk by, anyone can walk by. You don't have to be in the trade. Anyone can walk by and see these amazing windows. Aside from Legends, aside from what LCDQ does, what other events, both, both domestic and international, really work for you? Where, do you? where do you like to be when you're not here? You know, because I've got quite a few licenses, I've, I end up going and do appearances at various trade shows for them. Um, I have to say, High Point is an amazing place for people to go because they get to see, I mean, it's a melting pot. You see everything from pink, you know, pins to a 20-foot sofa. I mean, it's wild. So it's an amazing place to see and understand a lot of the industries that go on in America and to see a lot of the collections that other designers are doing for other labels. Um, for me, Maison in Paris is very important. Um, we exhibit our Corbett lighting line there, and I've had bedding lines and, and my porcelain and things there. But apart from my stuff, it's an amazing place to go and see and, and visualize and understand. You know, some, I make sure I go at least once every two years to really, you know, see what's out there, see what people are creating. And of course, the Milan Fair is amazing, um, much more furniture based, much more modern oriented. But again, a very important thing to do, maybe not every year but certainly every other year, just to understand where the industry is moving, is there new technology within even furniture? You know, the last fair, there were chairs that were like thumb touch that, you know, reclined to your body movement and all sorts of crazy stuff that maybe you'll never use it, but as a designer and as a designer that influences other people and has to influence their clients, you need to know what's out there. You need to be able to give people the options and understand it. So those kinds of trade shows are wildly important for that. And then there are fun things to do, like like Round Top in, in Texas, you know, which is an amazing, uh, almost like a giant flea market where vendors from all over the country come with incredible wares and they stall out and they, oh, it's, it's amazing. So I love those kinds of things from going to the Portobello Road in London and buying, you know, a couple of silver spoons to, to going to Brimfield in, and, and finding, you know, 18th century olive oil jars. All those things are wonderful and they're all stuff that, that helps designers really get an individual look and create incredibly special environments for their clients. Absolutely. And Travel I is the greatest knowledge for anybody, but for an interior designer, I would say above even going to any kind of school, travel. 
travel the world, see people, places, smells, taste, all of that stays with you forever and helps influence your design work. That is so true. Uh, just one follow-up, though. When you travel, are, are you able... Are you the kind of person that's able to unplug for a little while and actually be a tourist? Or do you always have to, is it always, not that it has to be, but are you always looking? Are you always seeking? You know, I can't help but, but I, it's one of the things about me that I like to remain kind of open all the time so that I can be like a sponge and soak in whatever's around me. So, yeah, you know, I might be sitting in Rome having a, having a, a beautiful dinner and I can't help but suddenly look down at the plate and go, oh my God, those red tomatoes and that and that white pasta looks so good together and maybe I have to do a red and white fabric. You just, I, just, I just can't help it. I can't switch it off. But I do, get, I do switch off and relax. I mean, I do get into my relaxed zone. But sometimes part of that, being inspired, is part of the relaxation process. So true. Martin, thank you for your time. A pleasure. So great to be part of LCDQ this year. And thank you so much. <laughs> That is a wrap on this episode of Convo by Design, featuring the amazing creatives who decorated and designed the windows of La Cienega Design Quarter in 2019. I hope hearing from these creators brings you just a little bit of joy, and I look forward to meeting you all again on the streets uh, of the La Cienega Design District, returning again in 2021. Thank you, LCDQ, for having me. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support. And thank you for listening. Were it not you listening to the show, downloading each podcast episode and engaging through the socials, uh, there would be no show. There would be no Convo by Design. So thank you. Make sure that you never miss an episode of the podcast. Ask Siri to help you out. Just say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. Here's the podcast Convo by Design. And she will. Thanks for listening. And until next week, keep creating. Mm